Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Life Coach in Your Pocket with me, your certified life coach, Rachel Bailey. I have a very special guest. I actually have a return guest. This might be a first for the podcast. So Helen is back. So Helen and I did an episode called Releasing the Resume, where we talked about kind of what is our identity when we are not talking in terms of our biography or what's, you know, what we write down for people on a resume. Who are we outside of those things? It's a really interesting episode if you haven't listened um, yet I reached out to Helen. Well, we talk all the time. I mean, we're really close friends. So we were just kind of sharing organically what was going on in our lives, what's been coming up for us recently. And I said, oh my gosh, we definitely need to talk about this, these things, these learnings, um, on the podcast so that everyone can benefit from kind of what we're going through and what we're learning right now. And so today, what we're going to do things a little bit differently, where we're going to be kind of co-interviews and co-interviewees, and we're going to interview each other on what we're learning, what we're going through in life right now, and just what's been on our heart to share. So with that, I told Helen, I was like, I'll ask you the first question, and then we'll kind of just organically see what unravels. She's laughing at me. So Helen. Um, starting kind of with the big picture first, I just kind of wanted to ask you in the previous year in 2022, what kind of areas of your life were you working on? What was coming up for you kind of in a big scale? Thanks, Rachel. Thanks for the question and for having me again in the big picture, looking back, I noticed that my focus has really been on my business and my family. And that's so strange for me to say, because if past me from even two years ago would have heard me say, I prioritize my family this year, I probably wouldn't have recognized the version of me today that said that. Um, I've spent more time with my family this year than I have in the last 10 years. And it's been intentional for the most part. And I think that's the key is I made it a priority to not just spend time with them, but to intentionally heal some of those relationships and to improve my relationship to what family even means to me. Um, So historically, I'd spent a lot of time working on my friendships and my professional network and creating meaningful connections everywhere, but within my family. And in my business, I talk a lot about vulnerability and embracing that as a strength. And then I realized through coaching and and by working with people like you that I was being vulnerable everywhere except for my family. Like I was willing to be vulnerable, you know, and cry in front of Rachel when I just met her (laughs) over Zoom, but I hadn't cried in front of my family in probably again, 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And as you're saying this, I'm realizing (laughs) that's why we're friends. Because I'm like, are you telling my story for me? Like, I can relate to this. I'm sure there's a lot of people that can relate to this. Um, There is sometimes a safety about being vulnerable with other people that we haven't been wounded by or haven't seen the worst of the worst in. And I definitely can relate to being vulnerable and creating deep connection outside my family 
um, or even purpose. Like I'm going to go save the world. And then you're like, (laughs) but my family. Ah." (laughs) So I, I really can relate to that. So um, when you say intentionally kind of working on your family, Helen, what does that mean? What does that look like? So it looked like first and foremost, recognizing that everything stems from like all all of our wounds, every goal that we have in life, we have to fix and resolve and release some of those beliefs and those habits and those behaviors and those thoughts that aren't serving us. And almost all of those stem from our experiences and our family of origin uh, in our home, everything that happened before 12 years old. And so the first thing about that intentionality was really taking ownership, uh, going back and owning the fact that who I am today is because of the family I've had growing up. And at first we can be mad about that. (laughs) We can look in the mirror and say, oh my gosh, I am just like my father or I'm just like my mom. Yeah. (laughs) And when you ask yourself that, you know, what's your initial reaction? Like, are you, are you upset about it? Or are you like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I really wanted to have that, oh, that's kind of cool experience with all members of my family when I looked in the mirror. Wow. That's where it started with saying, okay, I want to think of family and look forward to those interactions. Yeah. So that's what I mean by intentional. Okay. Wow. Um, What you were saying kind of like unlocked this memory for me where literally... Ah, Carson, this was like one of the very first transformational events, or maybe the third, where Carson had said something about like, oh, you're just like your dad. And I just burst into tears, like sobbing on the floor. And he was like, what is going on? Yeah. Yeah. And so people who are listening might listen to this and think like, wow, that's harsh that you're going to say that about your dad. Um, on a podcast, but what you learn in doing the work is it wasn't even about my dad at all. He's just a mirror of whatever is going on in me that I'm upset about. So it really was my own issue. Nothing against my dad, but it's so interesting that we're, as you're saying that Helen, I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Like literally that was my exact, like, Oh no. Um, and I think the reason for that is I mean, we can each share. I think the reason for that is as you're learning in your family what you don't like, you have to recognize in yourself, that's what I don't like about myself, first and foremost, has nothing to do with the other person. Absolutely. So to that end, Rachel, I'm curious, you know, we talk about kind of our business having been our babies and you've just recently made a new uh, merger and acquisition in your own life by having your own beautiful baby. (laughs) And a lot of things have shifted because of that. So I'm curious, like, what do you notice first and foremost in your child that might be mirroring to you? Oh gosh, that's so funny. And it's funny because when you are a coach and all of your friends are coaches, your your friendship conversations become these coachy conversations so I'm laughing because I'm like uh-huh Carson already asked me this um in like a friendly like text chat like you know what's coming up for you with your son um and it's interesting because when I look at I'm 
my son, I'm actually, and this is not true of every mom, this is not true of every parent, but at least where I am right now, he actually doesn't trigger me that much. The mirror that is really new and hard is my spouse, my husband. It's this joint co-partnering, co-parenting relationship that's never existed in our relationship before. And I want things done my way. I want things done a certain way. Actually, we got in a fight about it last night over something so stupid, almost embarrassingly stupid. When I tell you what this fight was about, you're going to be like, really? You guys need to get over it. I (laughs) wanted the baby wrapped in two different layers of clothing, like a long sleeve, long pants, like zip up footy pajama, and then a swaddle on top. But I was worried about him being hot because the thermostat here at my parents' house is not the same as ours. I kid you not. It is not the same. I can set at my house right now in Idaho. If I set the thermostat to 70 degrees, it is cold in my house. If you set the thermostat here to 70 degrees, I'm sweating. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that's about. (laughs) But I was worried. Yeah. Like, what's that about? I was worried about the baby being hot. Anyways, all this backstory, right? So the baby would not go to sleep last night. And I've been in there doing everything I can think of to get him to go to sleep for probably an hour and a half. Finally, I text my husband. I said, I need a break. I need to, I need to just reset. I need to go to the bathroom. I need to get some water. I need you to come in and relieve me. So he comes in and the baby's awake. So it's, it's kind of fine that he's like talking to me in a normal voice. I think if the baby was asleep, he wouldn't be, but he's like, why is the fan on in here? Cause when the fan is on and the noise machine is on, it sounds like this, the white noise machine that's supposed to go gets broken up by the wind. And he's like, he's not going to sleep in here. This sound is, (laughs) what did he say? This sound is atrocious. And I'm like, I really don't think the sound matters. I would rather have the sound be weird than for him to be hot. But I know it's going to get freezing cold in the middle of the night. And I will turn it off when it does. So we got in this big fight about whether or not the fan should be on. By the way, my son's just sitting there like, <laughs> like wanting to go to sleep but can't. And so what was coming up for me in that moment is like we both were so uh, dug in that we were right. Like I was like having the fan on is the right thing to do. And he was like, turning the fan off is the right thing to do. And when you're in that moment, and by the way, sleep deprived, I don't think either of us had slept, slept through the night in about six months. Um, and just the stress of the crying, you, you're, you're sent into kind of fight or flight anyway. So problems that normally you would be able to just be like why don't we just have the fan on for another 10 minutes and if it doesn't work we'll turn it off and try it your way you can't there's no access to that when you're like listening to screaming and you haven't slept and so anyways we worked through it we worked through it but the long answer to your question is it's not actually my son that is triggering the absolute ish out of me it is my husband uh we are projecting on each other that the other one we literally were texting each other last night because we were so mad and I said just leave me here if we were having a text argument 
And he's like, you just, you think that you're right about everything and that I'm dumb and I don't know what I'm doing. And I was like, projection much? Because I feel that that's the way that you treat me about everything. (laughs) So (laughs) that's where we're at with that. Um, It's a really like, I mean, in a lot of ways, our son has brought us closer together than ever. Like this new paradigm shift this new part of our relationship that we've never had before has brought us closer together than ever and I will say this I understand now why so many people go through divorce at this phase because it's hard you have to figure it out together and neither one of you have done it before and you both maybe are doing different research or feel strongly like this is the way I was raised this is the way you do things this is the right way uh there's a lot of ego involved And there's a lot of stress. So you have to like disengage. You have to almost disengage with what you think is right or what you think must be done in the moment and just breathe through it. It's the only way I can describe it. Yeah. It what's coming up for me when you're sharing that is the reminder that just because you know everything like even if you know the what the research tells you and you're backed up and you you even know the coaching language to use to convince your husband that he's you know <laughs> protecting on you at the end of the day you still have to like do something about it. you still have to take action you still have to communicate your needs you still have to be able to work through what you know in the, the heat of the moment and I think family tends to trigger the heat of the moment for most of us um I know for me, my, my father's a huge mirror and historically I've, everyone knows I've had a, a, a tempestuous relationship with him and it got to the point where it was so bad where we would like, I would, we would walk into the room, the same room. And within 30 seconds, one of us was storming out. And I don't even think we said anything, just the energy and the history of built up resentment and yeah. obligation and just whatever we had going on, we immediately ignited in each other. And so I always compare it to like two powder kegs. Uh, full of gunpowder and we walk in and a spark would go off and we both had enough powder in those kegs that it would just explode yeah Uh, I don't think there's a restaurant in New York City that I haven't stormed out of um (laughs) (laughs) like one of us leaves that's just great but what we what I learned um and what's changed for me is my father hasn't changed as a person he hasn't but what I've learned in the last year and two like two years since I started really coaching and working through my stuff is how to empty that powder keg, how to empty my powder keg. So no matter how many sparks go off, he can explode all he wants, but it's not impacting me. Mm -hmm. And so all the people who trigger me, I'm like, okay, what did I bring into this interaction? You know, what powder did I bring in? And that's been my work and I still have to show up, right? It can be scary to show up and be like, okay, last time I was here, um, you (laughs) said and I have to interact with you again and I want to I want this to be fine um and then you still have to be like okay now I have to choose what kind of interaction I want to have yeah and that is not the easiest thing to do so I want to acknowledge that oh right oh so much easier said than done and as you're talking I'm like that is a great analogy because I remember Back in the day, before I learned anything about anything about anything, personal development, whatever you want to call it, coaching, NLP, before any of that exposure, going into conversations, 
I always felt like a victim. And I don't even like that word because I think that word comes with this connotation of like, oh, woe is me. And it wasn't that I necessarily was feeling, oh, woe is me in every conversation. But in every conversation, I felt like if you could just get your act together for this one conversation, we could get through it. And it was always about the other person. It was always about they're not listening to me. They're not receptive to what I'm saying. They're getting defensive. They're getting angry. They're getting out of control. Uh, But I could not recognize in myself that hello, I was also bringing those things into the conversation. Like it takes two people to have an argument. So when you're sitting there saying like, I'm emptying my powder cake to make sure I'm not getting ignited. I'm like, that is such a great analogy that more people, I wish more people knew this or understood this. When somebody gets on board to have an argument, you do not have to get on board. Like you can just watch that train go by Um, You have other options besides just like, oh, here we go again. Like, put your, you know, let's get our boxing gloves on because we've been down this road before. Uh, But if you could just stop for a second and say, hmm, do I want to get on this train or not? And I'm telling you, Helen, there are times when I'm like, I'm getting on this train. Here we go. And there's other times where I'm like, no, I don't care. You can be upset. You can whatever, but I'm not getting upset. I'm not getting on board. I'm just going to wait it out until you calm down or whatever the, the solution ends up being. I love that analogy of like, you can just let the train pass by. You don't have to get on board with it. Um, and it's interesting they use the term victim, you know, in terms of feeling like a victim of the argument of the circumstance because I definitely used to use that terminology in interacting with my family or, you know, especially my dad in this case, where I would go in just as you did. And I feel like, you know, he is this way and he treats me this way. And this is how I feel because of the way he treats me and everything would be because of who he is as a person. And that would be the problem. Um, And now having taken ownership, having cleaned my powder keg, um, I get to observe So it's changing, going from the victim to the neutral observer. It's not necessarily going in and being excited and happy and being the most optimistic person. It's not toxic positivity in the face of mistreatment. It's exactly like you said, it's letting the train go by and just watching it pass and saying, okay, you're going to go do your thing. And I get to decide how I want to interact with you. I get to decide the outcome. And that's where we get to communicate. Like, you know, I was in the, the last time I saw my father, He'd gotten upset because he and I both have short fuses, right? Short tempers. When we are upset about something, it does not take long for us to ramp up. And I know that about myself. That's why it's so important to keep it clean. (laughs) But he was, he freaked out. He, his powder keg was full. He freaked out about something like really, really silly. Like something I was wearing. Like I wore the wrong scarf with the wrong outfit, something along those lines. And he was just like, no, I can't be seen with you out in public like this. And he was like taking me to the airport to leave. I just remember turning to him and I was like, okay, dad, you can either get in this car and say goodbye to your only daughter at the airport and bid me farewell because you might not see me again, or you can sit here and stay home and have a fit and be miserable. I'm going to get in the car. Yeah. And I was okay. Here's the important thing. I was okay in that moment with whatever he decided to do Mm -hmm. because I knew I wasn't taking what he was saying personally 
it wasn't hurting my feelings. It didn't have anything to do with me because I knew that I didn't bring that into the interaction. Right. But if I hadn't known that I might've done anything to just make him happy or to just appease him, but that's not, that wouldn't have worked either. We just both would have gotten on that train. And so I was like, look, dad, you can change course. You can stop the train and chill with me on the platform (laughs) or you can keep riding, but you're going to be alone on this journey. Yeah. I'm not joining you on the train. Yeah. I love it. Rachel, what's a time that you were happy you got on that train? (laughs) Oh. Oh gosh. Okay. There's like so much involved here. I'm like, okay, how do I tell this in a short version? Basically. But I don't think that's a good example of me getting on the train. I think that's a good example of me being like rational and calm and like communicating my feelings. So never mind. Let me think of a different example. But there are times like, like, for example, with my husband, I think I get on the train the most with my husband. Like any other interaction, I'm usually pretty grounded. Sometimes not always with my dad. That's a different story. He and I can go toe to toe. Um. But I think in most conversations, I can step back and say, where's this person coming from? They're not understanding me. What are they hearing? I can be empathetic to I offended them somehow or what not not I offended them. What I said and what they heard offended them somehow. Um, And I'm pretty good about wait, 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 that isn't I think you misheard me or I think something's amiss here. However, when I'm with my husband and this is really vulnerable, vulnerable, and also really real. Like when you're a coach and you're in a relate, it doesn't. You don't even have to be a coach when you are in a relationship with somebody that's long term. You jump to the end conclusion a lot with this person because you've done it so many times with this person. You know exactly this is what they're offended about again. And I didn't mean it like that again. And it just becomes this repetitive thing where you're like, that's your problem. You're choosing to hear me or hear that or get offended. So I think I'm more willing to jump on the train with my husband because, and I'm I'm not saying that that's good or bad. I'm just saying that is what it is. So sometimes when we get into the heat of the moment, (laughs) okay, I'll give you, now I have an example middle of the night last night again this is the middle of the night so fast forward about four hours he comes in to help me with a feeding and for some of you that might not make sense but I'm exclusively pumping which means when the baby needs to eat Alex has to feed him a bottle so I can pump it's a nightmare don't even ask me why we're here but that's what the reality is so anyway he comes in to give the baby a bottle so I can pump and um, he says, you know what? We, maybe we should change the baby's diaper because I think this is like 4 a.m. And I was like, okay, uh, where's the diapers? And he's like, well, I left them in the other room. And this was what irritated me because he already went out. I was in bed all cozy. He already got up, got the bottle, got everything, was in bed feeding the baby. And now I have to get up for no reason. I'm like, so irritated. <laughs> I'm like, why didn't you just grab the diaper? So... I made some kind of, I didn't say that out loud. I didn't say, why didn't you just grab the diaper? What I said was, okay, but my husband already knew, like he already knew. And he was like, this is not my fault. This was his response to me at four in the morning. This is not my fault. And that irritated me. 
because we have a history where even when when I'm not mad at him, this was a kind of not a great example because I was actually mad at him. So he was justified in saying that. And there are a lot of times in our relationship where I'll say something not about him at all, or I'm just expressing my emotion or maybe my discontent. It could be about anything. And he takes blame for it and takes responsibility for it. And is like, well, I'm sorry, you feel that way. It's not my fault. And that irritates me, especially as a coach, because I'm like, I never said it was your fault. Like, I'm totally at cause here. Like, I'm just irritated now that you're thinking that I'm blaming you. So often I will jump on the train when he eludes the fact that it is his fault. And I'm like, oh, you're not going to do that. And I'll get on the train with him and I'll be like, I already told you my feelings are my responsibility. I am not blaming you. I'm not shaming you. You have to clean up your shame. Like, which is very, (laughs) in a coaching session, you would never, right? You would never blame and shame someone (laughs) for their perspective. In a long-term relationship, you know, you know that you know that you know what the other person is thinking And it can be very irritating because you're like, I asked you to clean that up. I asked you to clean up that projection and you still haven't. The irony is I have to go inside and be like, is this inside me? Because I keep seeing it in him. I keep seeing this stupid pattern of it's not my fault. So I have to look inward and go, where am I overly responsible? And when I put it in that language, where am I overly responsible it literally is a gut punch. And I'm like, oh my gosh, everywhere in my life. Like if something were to go wrong at Genius Unlocked, I'd be like, I should have done something different. Like, do you know what I'm saying? So I might not approach my marriage in that way, but it's definitely in my life elsewhere. Yeah. Well, what I also heard there, Rachel, that's so powerful. And I think a lot of people can relate to that of just <laughs> realizing that they're starting to argue in shorthand because they're so familiar with the experience and even though we're not necessarily mad at the person I find that sometimes I'm just mad about the circumstance I'm in and I'm mad at myself for having found myself in the same situation again and that's the energy I throw at the other person yes we're doing this again really we just okay and so I'm not even mad at them or who they are (laughs) It's the repeat circumstance, but guess who brought me back to the room, put me there? Me. Like, why am I creating this pattern? Hi, it's me. I am the problem. It's me. Yeah. I'm the problem. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so now I'm like, like you said, I have to figure out my stuff. Um, and taking responsibility is something, I don't know. If, do you experience this as a coach where we're inclined to, because we know we get to take ownership of everything around us? we find ourselves taking more responsibility for oh, things yes. we need to feel right. Like trying to get ourselves to cause before we're ready, trying to get ourselves to understand everything that's going on and the why of it and, and solving the root cause problem of every issue in our lives, even though it might not even be our problem to solve. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. Like I'm sitting here going a hundred percent. First of all, in my own experience of being a human, yes. And also, because I coach both coaches and non-coaches, I'm telling you right now, there's a huge disparity about how to coach them and what questions to ask. Because a coach 
will be mad at themselves. A coach usually will beat themselves up. Like, why can't I get to cause? Why can't I figure out what's going on here? What am I bringing to to this situation that I can't see? Me, me, me. I'm the problem, blah, blah, blah. And I actually have to help coaches, including myself sometimes, disengage from that and say, wait a second, your hurt's valid here. That what they did was not okay. Like you have to actually show them sometimes the victimhood. Uh, versus when you coach somebody who isn't a coach, doesn't know these, doesn't know they're the problem, they're much more in 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 coach language in effect, meaning I'm blaming and shaming outside myself, that person, that circumstance, that thing. And you have to get them to see mm, you're bringing something. You know, not every person that's in that situation would react this way or feel this strongly. There's some trigger here that you're pulling in with you. Um, and it's it's vastly different. And in my own life, yes, I definitely can take over responsibility. I think I'm getting to be totally vulnerable, like in, in more of a positive way. I do think I'm getting better at this. I do think I'm getting better at saying, um, you know what? not my problem, not my responsibility, not my emotion. Oh, and this is, this is where we started. The podcast was with this story. (laughs) I told to lend this in confidence over Instagram. And then I was like, maybe I'm ready to share, um, to share this. So an example of me being like, I am not taking responsibility for that. That is not my issue. Where in the past, you guys, just so everyone knows, Uh, I used to be extremely codependent, especially with my dad. There was no separation of his identity and personality and mine. There was none. And if, if you don't, if you've never experienced a codependent relationship with a parent, that can be really confusing. Uh, Like, what do you mean? But I'll try to explain it. If ever he felt any emotion, anger, shame, sadness, I felt it. I felt it in my core and I felt bad for it and I wanted to fix it. And I lived my whole life trying to fix it or keep him happy or appease him. And I'm not saying that's his fault. It was just the dynamic. Um, It just was my reality that I wanted him to be happy at all times to the point of self-sacrifice. Well, I've done a lot of work since then. I've been doing this healing work for five years now. So I had a perfect example when I moved recently, my dad was helping me move, which I'm so thankful for him. So grateful for him. My dad is wonderful in a lot of ways. Like he is the first person that would be like, you need help. I'm there. Not just for me, for like any person on the planet. This is my dad. So he's, he's a phenomenal human being. Well, I have never, ever expressed outward anger toward my dad or at my dad because I knew that in doing that he would feel disappointed disappointed in me maybe he'd feel like a bad father maybe he'd feel sad or worried for my character and I just didn't want him to experience that so anytime I got angry at my dad I would get angry on the inside and I would shut down Well, we had a situation because moving is stressful. Moving across states is stressful. Moving across states with a newborn is absolutely insane. Like why, why, why? 
So we get in this situation where he's just trying to ask me a question, but let me back it up so you know where I'm coming from in this moment. In this moment, I was changing in my master bedroom. I have my mom there, my dad there, my husband's running around doing stuff. I have two uncles that are helping us move in furniture. We've got the baby. The baby, my mom is in the bedroom with me. I'm trying to get ready because she and I are like, we got to go shopping. We got to get stuff for the house while the guys are bringing in all the furniture. That's what we can do when we can take the baby. There's so much involved there. Like, when am I going to pump? When am I going to feed the baby? Is he going to be happy? Is he going to be cranky? We got to figure out the nap schedule first before we can do any of this. I need to take a shower. So we're tr- we're working on all that in the back bedroom. I'm simultaneously trying to get myself ready to go. My husband... God bless him, keeps coming in and out of the bedroom, leaving the door wide open. As I'm changing and myself, you know, I'm standing there in my underwear with other people in the house. And I'm just getting more and more and more annoyed at this. And I keep asking him very nicely, please, when you exit the room, close the door. Well, about, I'm not kidding. I don't know why he was coming in and out. I I have no recollection of why, but about the sixth or seventh time he comes in and leaves the door open. Uh, I had my back turned, so I didn't see it happen, but I knew, like, I kind of felt his energy come in, open the door and leave. I turn around and then my dad walks in to ask me a question, not knowing I'm in there half naked, not knowing any of that. He's just innocent bystander. (laughs) Walks in to ask me where I want some piece of furniture or something. And I explode. Like, there's no patience anymore. Like, I have just had it up to here. And I'm like, I'm screaming at Alex, but Alex is not in the room. My dad's standing there. And I'm like, I told you I want this door closed. Like, I'm sorry, right? And he walks, he walks beyond my vantage point. I can't see. So I walk over to the master bedroom door. This is hardwood floor. And I close that door like as hard as I can. And we, I've always lived in a carpeted house where like that doesn't do anything if you swing the door. That door slammed so hard, it shook the walls. And I didn't know this part because I could not see. But my dad was standing there facing the door, like ready to ask me a question. And I screamed and slammed the door in his face. So... I was all kinds of embarrassed because I had, I have never lost my cool ever like that in front of anyone really besides my husband. Um, I've always just suppressed my anger or shut it down. Or, you know, once I got into coaching, worked through it, blah, 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 but never exploded like that, especially not in front of my dad. So now I'm just feeling this like a massive amount of shame. Right. And, um, and what is my dad? My my initial thought was, oh man, that was not okay. What I just did. I'm really embarrassed now. So I make a point to go out and apologize to my dad. He doesn't really receive it though. Like I literally was like, dad, I'm really sorry. You know, I didn't mean to yell at you. And he's, he changed the subject. He said, well, like, where do you want this piece of furniture? Like he wasn't just, he just was not. So fast forward this story. Later, I get a text from my husband that said, when you and your mom left, your dad told me that how disappointed he was in your behavior, in you. And I knew, I was like, I knew that's what he was going to feel. That's why I've never let my lid pop like that ever. However, this was like the worst case scenario, right? My whole life, I've suppressed my anger to not deal with this situation. 
it happens. I get the text. I'm reading the words. Your dad's really disappointed in you. And instead of feeling sad, what I felt, Helen, was relief. Relief. Like, it finally happened. I don't have to be afraid of it anymore. Like, it finally happened. And that might not make any rational sense to anyone listening. But what I felt in that moment was relief. Like, I lost it. My dad saw it. Life is still going to go on. That's That was, like, my first thought was, like, I'm still alive he's still alive. We can get to the other side of this now that it's happened. So, and the other thing that I felt, which totally shocked me was I, I, that's his emotion. I don't care that he feels disappointed. I'm, I care, but I care in a way that's like, I'm still in my body and he's still in his body and I don't feel disappointed. And it's okay that he feels disappointed. He can work through that disappointment on his own. And as a 35-year-old woman, hello, like it's taken me 35 years to get here with my dad. I was like, wow, I've come a long way. I have come a long way with my dad and just being like, that's how he feels. Okay. That's how he feels. Wow. That's, that's powerful. Um, and it's, I think a lot of people can resonate with at least the before aspect of it. (laughs) It's absolutely moving and stressful. All the circumstances are stressful. More importantly, most of us have tried to please or appease our parents at some point in our lives, or we've done everything we can to intentionally make them mad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. And I had a very strong codependent relationship with my mom. And so I resonated with what you said there, but that relief that you feel when what you fear comes true, I think is such a curious thing that we don't talk about enough because I've been really realizing this year, especially that so much of what we deem as like a problem with negative emotions, whether it's anxiety, depression, you know, we have this bigger conversation about mental health and that's amazing. Yet I think sometimes the only reason, not only, but one of the big reasons that having these negative emotions like shame, guilt, um, sadness, depression, fear, anxiety, one of the big reasons why that's even a problem for us is because we judge ourselves for having those feelings in the first place. It's the fear of experiencing it. I can't Mm -hmm. tell you how many people I've talked to who are like, but what if I feel my sadness and I fall into depression and say, Mm -hmm. you're already living in fear, right? You're so busy living in fear because you're afraid of feeling any other emotion. You're still feeling a negative emotion. Right. And so I'm not surprised when you say you feel like relief when you get to actually like see the conclusion because I think so much of the effort and the mental energy that we spend avoiding the negative emotion yes is where our stress anxiety and like actual pain and suffering comes from you can feel the pain but you don't have to suffer and I think the suffering comes from the judge and the shame and the blaming ourselves for having those negative emotions thoughts and behaviors in the first place and so that was so brilliantly said that was that put words to an experience that I just, when you're in the experience, you're like, how do I explain this or how to explain the benefit of it? And you just did that so effortlessly. Elaine is like, once you get to the other side and you realize like, Oh, 
okay, I can work through this. It wasn't the end of the world. We're going to get to the other side of whatever this is. And I did later, like later that evening, I pulled everyone into the, to the living room. You know, it was awkward. It was uncomfortable, but I just felt, especially with my faith, like I was like, you know, what I did was not okay. Even though I was like glad it happened, relieved that it happened, kind of from like a coaching standpoint, I understood that this was a sin. Like this was not okay that I just exploded on everybody. I understood that. So I gathered everybody in the living room and I said, listen, everyone, I just, again, want to apologize to the room at large. Like, and I did justify a little bit, which I I was just kind of trying to explain. Like, I'm like, I'm super hormonal. I'm super stressed out. I'm not myself. Like I am on a hormonal roller coaster. I don't feel like myself. And I just want to apologize to the room for exploding like that. Um, and I got emotional. And uh I don't I still don't know if my dad received it or not. My uncles got emotional too with me. They're like, it's okay. They put their arms around me. They're like, it's all right. My mom was like, it's okay. My husband was like, it's okay. My dad didn't give me anything. However, I didn't care because I knew like I've done my part. I have done my part. I have apologized. I've eaten the crow. He can accept it or not. And that is on him. That's his responsibility. I'm not, I I don't need to apologize every day for the rest of my life. I, the forgiveness is now on his side, but I'm done. Yeah, that's, I love what you mentioned about it being kind of awkward and uncomfortable to apologize Mm -hmm. because it made me reflect on how so many of us, myself included, will avoid the vulnerable interactions. Um, Well, like you said, like you felt vulnerable, you were changing in your room, like you were vulnerable and yelling accidentally at your dad. You were emotional. You that's, they saw a side of you that they don't normally see. And we spend so much energy sometimes in concealing that vulnerability and squashing our anger and squashing our sadness that we're so afraid to let it show, but that results typically in the consequence of a snapping of being resentful of then doing something, creating a behavior that we then have to apologize for. And I think the apology is even more vulnerable. And that's why some of it, so many of us don't do a great job of it. Oh yeah. Like, I'm sorry you feel that way, but suck it. I'll be over here. (laughs) You know? So I think because apologies are even more vulnerable in a lot of ways, because you have to take ownership. You have to recognize that you didn't handle something the way that you wanted to, and that you may have hurt people along the way. And so I, I see this irony of like, in trying to avoid vulnerability, sometimes we create forced need for it through apology. And like, what if we were just vulnerable at the get-go like how many apologies could I have saved myself from how many conflicts could I have avoided if I'd just been upfront and honest with the people in the room about what I was going through like Mm -hmm. what my my we say filters right but kind of like what was my circumstance at the time what if I let them know hey just so you know my power gig is half full and it's not your fault but I've got I haven't had the time to clean things up yet right but this is what I'm working with, right? I am exhausted. I am burnt out. I'm trying to run a business. I'm trying to, you know, just bought a house for my grandmother this year. Like I'm trying to do all of these things and I'm juggling one too many balls, which means I don't have a lot of energy for, you know, peacekeeping, right? pretending. And so you might get a raw version of me when I'm tired. I don't sound excited, even if I am, 
<laughs> I want you to not take that personally. You know, we say um, in, in NLP, right? If you can pre-frame anything, if you can set up and explain your situation beforehand, you can get away with almost anything because you've created understanding, you've created connection and you've decided to be vulnerable with someone and they automatically start seeing you as the human that right. you are and they can separate your behavior from your character. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you said that because it's, it's so true. And you know, I know you and I are not perfect at this. We we're human too. It's just like you said, like we have the tools, we have the training, we have the knowledge and we're human. We're not walking testimonials of being this like perfect communicator all the time. And actually, you know, one of when we were in pre-conversation, Helen, one of the things I asked you is what's really on your heart right now to share. And I think that now would be kind of a great transition because part of what you said was how important communication really is. But there's also you're having a hard time getting people excited about it because you and I are easily excited about it because we're on the other side. We're like, if you would just understand that every issue in your life is communication, you would feel excited about it. But there's when you say that word communication, people are like, Man, I don't need that. Um, so I just wanted to ask you, like, what's on your heart with this journey of communication? Thank you. Um, like you said, communication, not sexy. But in retrospect, and actually funnily enough to bring in my dad again into this conversation, <laughs> one of the rants he went on recently when he saw me is he was trying to remind me of the career choice I should make. And he yelled at me, but in the most complimentary, complimentary way possible, where he said, Helen, you've always been good at communication. You know how to talk to people. You know how to be approachable. And he's like yelling at me, right? But he said nothing but like really nice things, which tells you everything you need to know about my dad. Um, but he's telling me this and I'm realizing that the areas in my life where I have really felt passionate and often excelled is because I was so curious about what was actually going on. And I think the first step in communication, which is the foundation for all interactions, I don't care if it's professional, your intimate relationships, your family relationships, your friendships. You can feel all kinds of ways. You can have the best idea in the world as a CEO, but if you can't bring that to your audience, if you can't communicate what you're feeling in a way that resonates with your audience, it doesn't matter. Like all your potential in the world is never going to come to fruition in the way that you want it to. So we know that communication is the key to getting anything done, whether that's finding a romantic partner or finding clients, or just finding a good best friend to talk to. Yeah. Yet, I think the key to, to communication is really curiosity. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, a lot of people say, you know, get curious, not furious. But if you start off with the notion of what is there for me to learn here? Like, what don't I know that I would like to, that if mm-hmm. I knew, I'd be able to understand what's happening? That just from the basis, going in without the assumptions, without the judgments, starting with a place of curiosity can really inspire a more open dialogue. Yeah. Like you said with you and Alex, right? Like you were um, assuming you, when you're with someone for a long time, you know how it's going to end. Right. 
what if instead, right, you were just curious from the outset of saying, I'm sorry, what are we talking about here? Exactly. <laughs> like, this is what I heard. I don't think that's what you said. Um, what, what did you say? What did you mean? Right. And just that one pause, that one second of what if I were a journalist and I were trying to find out more information? Yes. You know, what question would I ask right now? And I think that's kind of the first mindset that we have to adopt is being curious when it comes to communication and, and being open-minded. Right. And that's really easy. I know that. <laughs> uh, but a lot of people don't know how, which is why like one of the things I'm working on is creating a workshop to give people some tools and resources so they know the exact right way to actually endeavor in these communications and to actually navigate hard conversations and prevent conflict. Yeah. And it's going to start with ownership and it's going to end with curiosity and create that, that connection that they're looking for. So that they feel heard, they feel seen. And most importantly, so that the other person understands where you're coming from and right. can do the thing I'm going to do for you. Oh my gosh. That is so needed. And kind of lacking in our culture right now. I mean, not kind of lacking, seriously lacking in our culture right now. Um, and get on Instagram for two seconds and you'll understand what I'm talking about. People are not curious about why do you feel so strongly? Tell me more about what your belief system is on this issue. Tell me more about where you're coming from. And it doesn't have to be, I know I'm taking it to like the extreme political in my head, like the extreme political, which is a, everybody can relate to that. Because the reason why politics are so it's just fireworks all the time is because you're dealing with people's deepest values uh, brought out in play in reality. And that's why people get so worked up about it, because you're dealing with their core values and their core values might be you might think they're in direct conflict with your deepest core values but what's so interesting is when you when you sit down and you get curious about well, what's important to you about that activity, what's important to you about that side of things, what's important to you about that particular theory or that particular uh, viewpoint, what you realize is that most people actually value the same things. They're just how that they how they seek to bring that value into reality is different. So. I've talked about this before. A great example of this is freedom. Doesn't matter if you're on the right. Doesn't matter if you're on the left. Doesn't matter if you're in the middle. Doesn't matter if you're on the green party. You value freedom. Now, how you go about getting that value, drastically different. But if we could see the similarities more, if we get curious about people's behavior more, uh, we would actually find that we have more in common than we think we do. Yeah. So when is your workshop, Helen? Do you have a date yet? I do. It's actually going to be January 15th on Sunday. It's going to be 10 a.m. Eastern to what's 10 plus 3, 1 p.m. <laughs> Eastern. <laughs> 10 to 1 Eastern Sunday, January 15th, 2023. Can't believe it's 2023 already. Wow. Um, and so it's normally $96, uh, but I figured for the listeners of your podcast, I was going to create a code so that they can have it for $29 instead um, to celebrate my recent birthday. Yay. <laughs> Happy yeah, great. Okay. So um, 
If you don't know the code right now, that's okay because I can put it in the show notes. Or do you want to just make one? Oh, yeah. I was going to make it pocket. Oh, pocket. I love it. Yeah. Okay. And should we make it all lowercase just to make yeah, it? Yeah, we can make easy? it all lowercase. Super easy. Okay, perfect. I think it's not case sensitive, so it's going to be really easy. Oh, yeah. Run. Okay, great. Okay, so what I'll do then, because uh, we're recording this early, is I will create the link to that. Um, you didn't call it a webinar. Workshop. Workshop. Yeah. That workshop in the show notes, and then I will put in the, the coupon code. So when you go to check out, it'll take your total from $96 down to $29. Um, and I'm really excited about this. I think if I just want to reiterate one more time, like, and then I want to ask you, Helen, because I feel like I've been doing a lot of talking. Um, <laughs> but prior to having communication skills, if you would have said to me, would you like more communication in your life? I probably would have said no. I probably would have said, no. what I want is more money. What I want is more time. What I want is more freedom. What I want is for my husband to stop being stupid. Um, <laughs> but in having more communication, I've actually created more of all these other things that I have said that I've wanted because in learning how to communicate, I have better relationships and better relationships lead to everything else that you want in your life. So anyway, I just think about myself like pre-communication days and I'm like, I didn't know what my problem was. I didn't know it was communication, but I had anxiety. Generalized anxiety is when like you leave every conversation and you replay it in your head. Like, did that come across as weird? Did I come across as selfish? Did I just put my foot in my mouth? Did I just accidentally invite myself and I wasn't supposed to? Like, that's generalized anxiety. You won't have that anymore <laughs> when you learn how to communicate because you'll just leave and you'll just move on with your life. That's so powerful, Rachel. Absolutely. You're right. Communication is something that we take for granted because um, we do it all the time. I, I'm speaking English to you right now. Yeah. Yet that intentionality of Okay, so that I don't have the anxiety after the fact. One of the solutions to that is just knowing what I brought, what was my goal and my intention when I walked into that conversation? Like, right. what was mine? What was theirs? You know, what's in my powder keg? What's in theirs? And what is the outcome that I'm trying to create? And maybe I just want to show up and be myself. Maybe I want to show up and, you know, talk my boss off the ledge so he doesn't throw his computer out the window. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, exactly. What is my desired outcome? And then I get to cater my communication to do that in a way that is in integrity, that's powerful and empowering. I think it's the last thing I want to say about it is I used to be codependent in my friendships and in my relationships with my family, but not in the way that I thought codependency was. I didn't, I thought it was just, there were a lot of definitions to it. But what I realized is I kept playing game theory in my head. I kept playing chess. And thinking, okay, when they say this, I'll say this. When they do that, I'll do that. And I kept trying to anticipate what other people would do. And I would cater my behavior, my beliefs, my communication. I would deny my needs. I would cater everything about me to make them happy, not based on information they gave me directly, because I didn't ask what would make them happy. Right, right. I assumed. Right. And everything I did was based on that assumption. Yeah. And so the difference between then and now that I've learned, you know, like neurolinguistic programming, communication models and nonviolent communication, all things we'll be talking about during the workshop. I now know 
that it doesn't matter what my assumptions are if I don't have any. I get to actually get the information I want and work from reality and not this fantasy anxiety land that I live in. I get to literally create the conversation rooted in reality and work from certainty as opposed to this fear of what if, but what if they, what if, no, now like, what did you hear? And then it's what I said. Great. I have nothing to be anxious about. And if I heard something different, then I get to clarify. It's so empowering. I give them a say in the matter. I give them a choice. They get to actually be a part of this conversation that's been happening in my head my whole life. Right. Exactly. Oh, preach. I'm over here snapping my fingers. And I was like, oh, don't do that because you might cut the sound. But I'm like, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you so much, Lynn. This is so fun. Always such a joy to have you. And um I think that the major takeaways, like if people are listening to this and like, what are my major takeaways are get curious. That was the the main one. And I'd say kind of some other golden nuggets in there is what am I bringing to the conversation? Do I want to get on this ride or not? Like, what are my options here? And no shame or blame either way. Like I said, sometimes you get on the train and sometimes you decide not to. But I think the first realization is you have that choice. Um, so thanks again, Helen, for your time today. I will, um, I will link your Instagram account and your workshop so people know where to find you. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much for this beautiful conversation that made me learn more about myself just by virtue of learning from you as ever. And thanks for having me on. I look forward to talking to you again. Yeah. Okay. Bye everybody.